Good afternoon. It's Friday the 6th of August 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century War. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and we're going to get straight off with what's going on in France. Yeah, France has really kicked off. If you've been watching the news, really, for the last two weeks, uh, the people have come out uh, by the millions onto the streets of France all over the country, over 100 cities. There were protests, Mike over the last couple of weeks, I think 160 cities and towns in total. What are they protesting? Uh, Emmanuel Macron has basically jumped the shark on vaccine passports, and uh, the Constitutional Council has basically waved it through. Let's just take a quick look at some of the scenes. Uh, I believe this is from Paris uh, just in the last couple of days. Look at this. <laughs> Right. So a little more of a lively affair, Mike, than uh, you know what we've seen in other cities uh, yes. in Europe. Uh, so the, the the people have taken this as kind of a personal attack. Let's just look at what's on social media here. This is uh, La French Con Action, and it's basically talking about the Constitutional Council here, Mike. The health pass has already entered into force in July in places of leisure and culture, um, bringing together and 50 people in terms of numbers of people allowed and all that. The new law is going to cover cafes, restaurants, trade shows, planes, trains, coaches, the whole of the medical establishment in terms of healthcare workers. And young people between 12 and 17 are exempt until, Mike, September 30th. And what is significant about that, Dave? Uh, I, I'm not sure, but isn't it strange how they're you know, projecting forward? Uh, clearly, the government's doing things in phases, Mike. You've seen this here in the UK as well. There seems to be a script, a rollout, in terms of how these measures are being rolled out, in terms of what the pub they think the public can take mm. in order to quell uh, a, a dissent and so forth, Mike. And uh, I might add that this is the same thing in Canada as well, in Quebec. Uh, they're going to in, uh, implement a vaccine passport, the first uh, in the country. Uh, so what are they saying here? Two, two doses must be able to live a normal life, says the premier. So how's the media covering this? Take a look at this uh, here, Mike. Well, the same type of uh, headlines is where the media has reported what's been going on in the UK, similar kind of situation. Tens of thousands? Are you kidding me? I think by most estimations, what we saw just the other weekend was something like 5 million people uh, out on the streets uh, across the country. But this is how France 24 uh, is basically characterizing this. Now, we've spoke, Mike, to uh, activists uh, in the last couple of days, and they said this is much bigger than the Yellow Vest movement. Uh, you know how big the Yellow Vest movement became after, what, 18 months? Of, of just uh, constant protesting across the country. This is bigger. They say it's more broad-based. It's more inclusive. They say the vaccinated are out on the street with the unvaccinated. So, I mean, this is a huge crisis, political crisis for Emmanuel Macron. So people are setting aside where, where wherever they sit on the so-called political spectrum then? Uh, yeah, and wherever they sit on the vaccine spectrum. And if they don't have the polarization, like in America, they're trying to make vaccinations a, a partisan issue, which you'll talk about in a couple of minutes. We'll show that. But this is how the president's reacting in France. You can see the sort of thin ice 
that Emmanuel Macron is here. The French president says anti-vax protesters have lost their mind. So he's he's trying to characterize it. There's a bit of gaslighting here by the mainstream media, by the political elites in France. They're trying to say this is anti-vax. This has nothing to do with, quote, anti-vax as much as it has to do with constitutional freedoms and rights, fundamental freedoms and constitutional rights enshrined in the French Republican system. Mm -hmm. And you know how the French are, Mike, in terms of their constitution and their rights and freedoms. I mean, if you attack constitutional freedoms in France, you are attacking the individual identity of the person. And I think a lot of people don't understand how deep well, it's, it goes pretty deep, yes. And, and they're not shy about coming out and making people understand that. It, I mean, political figures within their own communities, for yeah. sure. And that's what's happening. Yes. Let's just take take a look at some of the scenes again uh, from, from other scenes here. Uh, this is basically one of the protests going on here. There's a lot of tradespeople here, Mike. You've got people from the hospitality uh, industry. Uh, you've got people from the services industry, from transport. They're all out in their sort of professional guilds, uh, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, talking about these these different issues. Now, that people are talking about storming the uh, Elysee Palace, Mike. So, I mean, <laughs> this is the sort of language uh, that's being bounced around. And there's a lot of restraint right now to say, we, we shouldn't storm the houses of government yet. Let's try to settle this peacefully. Mm -hmm. uh, but the government is pushing harder. Ma uh, Macron's doubling down and really sort of, it seems to be, Mike. Is he trying to incite uh, violence? Is he it, trying to encourage? Some, some people said maybe that the, the, the French leadership's pressing in order to trigger a reaction where the, whereby they can declare a state of emergency going into the winter and really lock down the country. I mean, there are people that are looking at it this way. So. Right. Okay. Well, uh, let's head over to the United States then, Patrick. And uh, well, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, mandating COVID vaccines for certain indoor activities. So what's this article saying? Uh, the order goes into effect on August the 16th, with full enforcement beginning on September the 13th. De Blasio says the mandate, known as the Key to New York City Pass, would encourage increased immunizations to combat the spread of the Delta coronavirus variant. Uh, when you hear those words, uh, de Blasio said, uh, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in the city. So you're not, well, in fact, there's increasingly little available in the city because <laughs> right. everything's closed. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, this, just as a, an aside, if anybody hasn't seen this yet, but one particular New York businessman, uh, Lewis Rossman, who of course is well known on, on YouTube, he's got about a million and a half uh, followers on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, uh, this is quite a rant uh, over this situation. I do suggest everybody watches it. Uh, if you want to look on YouTube for, I'm a New York City business owner and I will not follow Mayor de Blasio's order. Uh, for those that haven't seen it already, um, because he makes some pretty valid points. Uh, but this is the, the the local reaction. It looks like different states are having different approaches. Florida and Texas in particular are saying no mandates, no mask mandates, no d social distancing mandates, and so on. But Executive order in Florida, no vaccine passports yes. allowed in this in, in the whole state. But, but the question then, Patrick, is uh, what's happening on the federal level? Well, well, we'll look at that in a second. I just want to add, in terms of New York, Mike, a huge amount of people have left the state of New York in the last 12 months, and a lot of them have emigrated down to Florida, including some of the investment banks setting up some of their operations, Goldman Sachs, 
We've heard about J.P. Morgan. Some of these sort of organizations are gradually relocating some operations into Florida, Mike. So the money is just flowing into Florida and Texas. We spoke to some Texas residents recently, and they said housing prices are just, there's bidding wars going on now. And they're all people from the northern states, from yes. places from New York. So this message of freedom, this message of liberty, it is becoming quite trendy, <laughs> and, and people are voting with their feet, Mike. Well, in fact, uh, Rossman is talking about moving his business to to Florida for that exact reason. But uh, in his uh, video, he, he did summarize what de Blasio was saying, because Blasio basically said, we tried voluntary and it didn't work. So Rossman's summing it up as uh, de Blasio saying, we tried voluntary, but they kept making choices other than the one I wanted. So now we've got to use force. And that's a fairly fair summary of what's going on. Yeah, and there's a partisan divide here. So let's look at what the president of the United States is saying, Joe Biden, Mike. And I just want to say, this is like literally politics 101, despotism 101. It, you know, you, you're only going to have trouble when you have an aging, compromised, senile, absolutely uh, crypto-fascist in power. And this is what Joe Biden has become. He is literally wielding the federal hand hoping for a federal vaccine mandate, Mike, and, he, and saying that it might be legal and he's got his Justice Department looking into it. N never mind the fact it's totally unconstitutional. Let's listen to Pandemic Joe. Yes. Hey, Mr. President, thank you. Why not um, push for vaccine mandates in states, private companies, schools? Do you want to see those entities pass vaccine mandates? Well, I, I'd like to see them continue to move in that direction. And that's why I'm, I pointed out. I had asked the Justice Department to determine whether that is they're able to do that legally. And they can. Local communities can do that. Local businesses can do that. It's still a question whether the federal government can mandate the whole country. I don't know that yet. Uh, on the, this is something that was being uh, reinforced on actually Radio 4 this morning. They were making the point just how partisan this is, that the Democrats are very much pro-vaccination, Republicans anti that. How, is this a fallout from Trump or is, this, is this that is, what it is? It's yeah. an extension of that partisan divide that really widened uh, uh, during the Trump administration, which is ironic because Donald Trump is the one who championed Operation Warp Speed and sort of got the whole mass vaccination rollout going full speed, and then Biden's picked that ball up and run with it. But, you know, Biden says, oh, it's it's legal, it's going to be legal. There's a big difference between legal and constitutional. Of course, things that are legal can be overturned uh, if they are, in fact, unconstitutional. What we're going to see, Mike, and what they were commenting on that show this morning mm -hmm. was the slew of lawsuits. There's going to be a tsunami of legal actions, uh, and they're already starting right now. And there's a lot of lawyers that are going to make so much money off of this because it's an emergency use authorization mm -hmm. vaccine. So you t mandating that was always going to be problematic. It's a total blag right now. They're all trying it on, but at the end of the day, there's no way that you can mandate um, an emergency use authorization in unless, unless you can make the argument if it's military or some uh, emergency workers in the state can wield that extra power in terms of compliance. We're talking about normal employees 
or from you know education schools and things like that. This is totally unprecedented. This is new territory, uh, and the fact that we're even having this conversation is quite a frightening thing. Um, well, staying in the United States for a second, then obviously uh, Bill Gates, uh, his marital problems are solved. Uh, the final solution there has been implemented, and uh, Melinda gets to keep the Gates name amongst other things. Uh, so he uh, appears to have popped back out from behind whatever hedge he was hiding. Yeah, that's right. Bill Gates, he's done a kind of a disappearing act, hasn't he, Mike, since the divorce? And be careful with the final solution uh, quip there. That could be interpreted the wrong way. Uh, here he has done his, his one of his comeback interviews here with the CIA. I'm sorry, it means CNN, Freudian slip. Uh, with CNN here, he's talking to Anderson Cooper, who's not a CIA asset. Right. I just want it not officially anyway. Well, we don't know. It's debatable. We'll talk about that later. Let's listen to what Bill Gates. Listen closely to what Bill Gates has to say. Take it seriously, because as we know, <laughs> Bill Gates is the sort of the oracle of the pandemic. Listen very closely. Efforts to try to come to a definitive conclusion about the origins of COVID report back to him in 90 days. That deadline is just a few weeks. How important do you think it is to understand how this happened, how it started? Um, I mean, is that critical in terms of preventing it in the future? No, the source isn't going to change, you know, the need for masks and vaccines and the need to have a, a very different regimen so that, uh, you know, all countries could get on top of the cases very quickly and be more like Australia than Europe or the United States ended up being. And so, you know, I'm involved in a lot of discussion about breakthroughs and diagnostics and therapeutics, uh, the scaling of vaccine factories in that less than six months, eradicating flu. You know, we need to resource uh, the preparedness for the next pandemic, and we can get a lot of benefits out of that. People don't like flu and the common cold, and, you know, we can build tools that over time will get rid of those as well. From a, a justice standpoint or just a, a moral standpoint, do you want to know how this started? Yeah, it's, they, you know, I would, I would continue that investigation. The last paper I saw showed evidence against the lab leak. Uh, but, you know, yes, we should investigate these things. Uh, but it's not directly tied to a, the particular actions to save lives at this point. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gates. Let's unpack that really quickly. Yeah. The, the first thing, the most important thing in there is when he said, Bill Gates said, we, we're going to be eradicating the flu and eradicating the common cold because people don't like the flu and common cold. Gosh, Mike, how did we survive as a race for two million years, years. or whatever? Uh, whatever you think, how old the human race is. How did we make it? How did we overcome the common cold, Mike? I mean, it's, it's tricky. Uh, but Bill Gates has a solution. So he wants to eradicate the flu. And then he says, that's the next pandemic. That will be the next, likely to be the next pandemic, okay, that Bill Gates has been talking about. The other thing is Anderson Cooper, who's not a CIA asset, not, well, some people think he might be, but let's just leave that off to the side for a moment. We don't okay. want to point any fingers, but um, Anderson Cooper is basically pushing out the lab leak conspiracy theory. So this is very uh, interesting. This is CNN at their absolute best. And so he's, he's pushing, he's drifting that out there because the lab leak theory uh, underpins the, the idea that there's a super duper virus on the loose doing a world tour and it's got superpowers. In other words, it has unlimited waves 
it splits off into variants like nothing the world has ever seen before. And the only plausible explanation for some people is that that was engineered in a lab and then leaped out of Wuhan and did a world tour to 186 countries in six weeks, like Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones did at the height of their rock and roll uh, prowess, Mike. So uh, it can't, but what, what Anderson Cooper is trying to conceal and what Bill Gates was playing ball with him was that there is no global pandemic. If there was a super virus, they wouldn't need to fake all of the PCR data, all of the PCR readings, completely fraudulent. Those are all your millions of cases. And then change the rules on how to re rewrite death certificates and how to determine a cause of death, creating the more fake data, more fraudulent data. So if there is a super lab leak or super powered virus on the loose, why would they need a completely fraudulent testing regime and be able to, and have to game and doctor the recording of causes of death globally in order to pump up the fear and pump up the pandemic numbers. The two of those cannot really be true. Although some people are trying to make the argument that, oh, it did leak out of the lab, but it's just not that powerful. And that they wanted to be more powerful, but they didn't quite get it, get, get the super gain of function a virus that they wanted. I mean, you have to do mental gymnastics to try to rationalize this. The reality is there is no there is no perceivable global pandemic according to the data that we've been combing over really for the last 16 months. 16 months. So here we are with the intelligence assets pushing out lab leak. All of the sudden after the vaccine levels are up to scratch, then they come out with the lab leak. And they're pushing that around on mainstream media constantly. Uh, but Billy implied skepticism. He implied skepticism, but what B Billy's probably more scared about is that uh, uh, for it's, if some reason this might uh, maybe hurt his friend Anthony Fauci or somehow hurt the pharmaceutical industry. I think it's all punch and Judy, dog and pony, Mike. Mm. I think they are playing the public like a fiddle. They're still doing it. And now all of this is predicated on super coroni, you super duper virus. This is the only, only thing that uh, could possibly explain how amazing the novel coronavirus has been. Um, now, in the meantime, of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, it is the winter. And of course, being the winter in the Southern Hemisphere, they must have thousands and thousands of cases by now. Well, this is, you're talking about Australia, aren't yeah, you? Well, I'm just heading in that direction, you, yes. Well, there's a, a, allegedly there's a pandemic in Australia for the last year and a half, Mike, but no one's really seen it. But anyway, there's still a pandemic, even though there isn't a pandemic. Let's take a look at what's going on uh, down under here. And who is this? This is, uh, well, we're down in Australia here. That is Dan Andrews. He is party chairman of the People's Republic of the state of Victoria. That's Melbourne, and so it's more the populated part of Australia there. And what, so Dan's on the phone. He, he's, he's phoning in here, and he's saying, really, six cases? Six cases? State of Victoria. So what are we going to do? Well, apparently, let's lock it down. Let's lock it down. So Dan Andrews, six cases, lock it down. Let's just take a look at how this is happening so look at this. They're really going for a hard lockdown. I mean, there's lockdowns, Mike, right now, as of now, Australia's three largest states are under lockdown, Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. Uh, the biggest population centers are Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Let's take a look at Melbourne here. Look at this. So uh, what is within five kilometers of your home in Victoria? So you, they've got a little sort of chart here, Mike, uh, that you can sort of plug in to see how far you're allowed to travel from home. This is what's going on in Australia. Let's punch in an address in here. Let's try this. 3 Bork Street, Melbourne, 
Victoria. And what is this address here? Actually, this is Mike. This is your local KFC because they're the ones who are going to be making all the money, aren't they, during lockdown? KFC is going to be banking it in. So let's just take a look at that. How far to get to. So that's about the, there's the radius right there, Mike. So that's what I'm allowed in terms of distance there. See that five kilometer yes. radius. So if you, if you want to go out for your KFC during lockdown, that's totally allowed. Uh, but a lot of other things, unfortunately, Mike, are, are not allowed. Let's take a look at the rules here. So look, get rid of that bucket. Look at this. So coronavirus curfew. I mean, so there's all sorts of rules in, in here and questions. And you know, how many people are you allowed to jog with? Are you allowed to go out with a mask? What happens if the, if the closest shop to me is more than five kilometers away? They've got answers to all of these questions here on this guide here. And there's other things like, can you exercise with somebody else, Mike? So there's all sorts. I notice the uh, older lady in the photograph is not wearing a mask. Yeah, so she very well may be gang tackled by the uh, Australian uh, police. We'll show you that in a second. So look at this. Can my child come to the supermarket with me? These are all basically uh, negotiable questions here uh, in the People's Republic of Victoria. Can I exercise with a friend? Look at this guy down here So out on a jog. Take a look at that get up. Wow. I mean, we had these kinds of uh, questions in the UK uh, during the first lockdown. Of course, this is now we're now uh, nearly 18 months past that. And there's they're still pushing this this narrative in Victoria. Uh, and uh, well, on the basis of nothing, on the basis of six cases. A couple of cases, yeah. And these are PCR positive cases, by the way. And, and, and if you're not wearing your mask, take a look at this. Look at this. We're seeing these reports every day. Like, man has seizure after being arrested for not wearing a mask. So the police are absolute thugs uh, in Australia right now. They've got this license to do whatever they want uh, in some of these areas. They're just being, every day there are more video clips of them just beating people up for no particular reason, it seems. Mostly for not wearing a mask or breaking some ever-changing COVID laws and rules. And take a look at, at this. This is now, this is the private sector. Shepherd and Food Processors, SPC, is the first company, Mike, uh, in Australia to mandate COVID-19 vaccines for all staff here. And if you play this report through, there's the, 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 the CEO or I guess the chairman of the company uh, there. And he's basically saying how proud he is to sort of be the real pioneer in terms of the private sector here. Hussein Rafai, uh, he's Jordanian, I believe. Got an interesting uh, CV uh, in the processed food uh, industry, Mike. This isn't the healthiest stuff you can imagine. Procter and Gamble, that those types of types of processed products that right. uh, SPC um, is is trafficking there. So, but uh, we'll go a little bit further, Mike. Let's take a look at uh, where this leads. Um, look on the top here, Victoria exposure sites. I'm going to click on that, Mike. Look at this: Virgin flights and Melbourne airports added to Victoria's list of COVID-19 exposure sites. Now, we told you there's only like a few cases that have been flagged, but they've got these all mapped into hotspots now in Australia. I mean, it's absolutely uh, insane how they're rolling this out. Let's take a look at this. Two Virgin flights in and out of Melbourne have been added to Victoria's list of COVID-19 exposure sites as health authorities try to stop the spread of cases in this latest outbreak. And so a person with COVID-19 flew from Sydney 
on a virgin flight between 7 a.m. And so they've got this blow-by-blow -blow sort of trace, track and trace drama going on in the media. A person has then joined a connecting flight in Melbourne to Launceston on a virgin flight VA 1364 between 1035. And I mean, it's ridiculous how they've gone down to the granular detail mm -hmm. here, Mike. So it's absolutely, I mean, this is pure... Uh, insanity going on right now. For what? There's a, literally a handful of PCR positive cases. They could be all false positives mm -hmm. for all we know. And of course, whenever they register a COVID death, you're talking about way beyond their ex life expectancy age. I mean, it's usually in their 80s or the people in palliative care. This is how they're prosecuting their lockdowns. And still, still, it's the same script. They're running over again here, but take a look at this. Now, this, this is basically shaping up to be a, a serious issue. Look at this, this is uh, Adelaide now, I believe, uh, Vax Passport are about two, uh, to cut Australians in two. So this is going to divide the country into two tiers, Mike. So you're talking about vaccination levels now, about 40% uh, have had, I believe, at least one shot and something like maybe 25, 30 have had both of these vaccines, and it's already creating a, a two-tiered uh, society here. And just take a look at how aggressive the media is. This is ABC Australia. I mean, they make the BBC look like uh, a, a sort of student newspaper in terms of propaganda. I mean, they are hardcore. ABC uh, News Network in Australia, their national broadcaster is amazing, tracking Australia's COVID vaccine rollout numbers. Look at this, Mike. Look at how they're applying in terms of the data analytics on this. They're breaking it down by sort of the national level. So they've, they've got to basically look at that. So yeah, 43 with one shot, 20, and each particular state, each territory. I mean, isn't this incredible? It's like the world-o-meter for vaccinations now. Is this where the, the, the world-o-meter is going to go? It used to be COVID deaths. Now, are they going to have a vaccine uh, um, progress chart or something like this? So. At our, at our current pace of 1.2 uh, and 82,000 doses a week, uh, we can expect to reach 40 million doses needed to fully vaccinate Australia's adult population uh, in late December 2021. So this is how aggressive all of this campaign is going. Look at this. Uh, could the COVID-19 vaccine or someone worried about COVID-19 vaccine to get the jab? So this is more propaganda. Uh, when, when a massage therapist arrived in New South Wales 30 years ago, the debate over vaccination was already in full swing. The lush coastal region is now known as Australia's anti-vaxxer heartland. Uh, but even in the 90s, uh, Vashti says everyone was questioning the safety of vaccine. The biggest influences in terms of healthcare. look at this, um, where you don't have to think much about it, you just do it seeing your peers get vaccinated and having questions and concerns met with, with tailored two-way communication. You see how strategic mm -hmm. the government is on sort of getting people to comply with this. It's a really sophisticated applied behavioral psychology, and it's, it's done so with force uh, from the state. 39 year, they're talking about America here. A New Jersey woman said her decision came when she realized that being vaccinated would make it easier for a family to attend New York Yankees baseball games. So again, it's more of the sort of, you know, the bribing, the what they call incentives. Mm. Uh, so this really destroys 
any argument to say that there is informed consent going on because obviously if you're giving cash incentives or bribes or vouchers or blackmailing people to say they're not going to have access to do basic things that really destroys any environment where you can have anything like informed consent indeed and of course so we've just done a, a journey around the world really to see the direction of travel the direction of travel is the same in this country as well but look we're going to come back to this issue for a second of uh, child vaccination and uh, just remind you once again what uh, June Rain from the MHRA had said a couple of months ago it will be for the JCVI the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization to advise on whether children will be vaccinated and as we pointed out on uh, Wednesday's program they said uh, that they had uh, had a look at this situation at following a request from the Department of Health, uh, but that uh, the JCVI is advising the children at increased risk of serious COVID-19 disease are offered the Pfizer vaccine, and they listed the types uh, of children that they were, uh, uh, that were required. They said, however, that the evidence shows that COVID-19 rarely causes severe disease in children, uh, and therefore, since almost all children and young people are at very low risk, uh, then there's no particular reason to vaccinate. They say it is not currently advising, they said at the time, uh, routine vaccination of children outside the so-called risk groups based on the current evidence. Uh, and uh, we were highlighting that Professor Anthony Harden, who's the deputy chair of the JCVI, had said that the primary aim of the vaccination program has been to prevent hospitalization and deaths. And based on the fact that previously, well, children, if they do get COVID-19, are likely to have a very mild form of the disease, the health benefits of vaccinating them are small. Uh, and as we said on Wednesday, of course, they've done a U-turn on that. And it, many, many, most people now expect that uh, while they've started with 16, 17 year olds, that that is going to change to over 12s in the not too distant future. Well, uh, the spectator has uh, blown the whistle on how this U-turn came about. It turns out that the, the way that it came about was that they just got rid of the people in the GC JCVI that were against uh, childhood vaccination. It seems they started with Robert Dingwall here. Um, and, uh, well, this article quotes Stingwall as saying this, uh, given the low risk of COVID uh, for most teenagers, it is not immoral to think that they may be better protected by natural immunity generated through infection than by asking them to take uh, the possible risk of a vaccine. That was his position. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Public Health England uh, spokesperson, unnamed, of course, said that the JCVI committee is united in its efforts to reach a consensus in order to provide uh, robust advice to ministers. Well, it is united now because they got rid of uh, Robert Dingwall. But they also got rid of uh, Professor Brian Charleston, who's from per Perbright Institute, for, uh, Professor Lucy Yardley from the University of Southampton, and Professor Liz Miller. Um, so they got rid of uh, the people that were not uh, united in the JCVI's efforts to reach a consensus uh, in order that they could reach a consensus. So you have an, an anonymous spokesperson uh, that's common. Anonymous from, spokespeople from, an, from various agencies. Really, they don't. Uh, they're just a spokesperson said. And and why would you need to reach a consensus on something that's clearly uh, this is an unlicensed experimental pharmaceutical product, a range of pharmaceutical products. There has been zero long-term testing on these products because they've only been out for a few months, so they can't say that they've done any. They know anything about the long-term side effects. So how can you have a consensus? Why would you want a consensus? Well, what it is is a political consensus. It has nothing right? to do with 
the science does it. No, it doesn't. But don't worry, Patrick, don't worry, because the Daily Mail wrote to our rescues this morning. If we were in any doubts whatsoever, they wrote to our rescues this morning uh, with the headline that Britain's back jabs for children, almost three quarters of us, support giving COVID vaccines to the over 12s and millions wanted extended to the over fives. Of us, that means, so they know what everyone in the country is thinking, oh, right? They do, they do, because this is based on a survey. This is very important, it's a survey, it must be right. So look, they produced this nice graphic and the nicer the graphic, the more you know, the more correct it must be. Very busy graphic, that one. Yes, uh, so this is a male poll. So they polled 1,007 people and they've uh, extrapolated that out to 70 million or so. Uh, male poll, what do you think about pupils and the pandemic? And they've got all kinds of statistics on that. And I'm going to leave people to, to read that for themselves. I'm not going to really go into this in any, any more detail. But I wanted to know, Patrick, who's behind this uh, poll? And the male, at least, to give them credit, did actually tell us who's behind it. It's this organization, JL Partners, a British polling council accredited research company. Uh, oh. So that should make us feel good. So who is JL Parties Partners or who are who's behind them? Well, let's have a look. Uh, James Johnson is the J part. Uh, James Johnson is a political advisor and pollster, having previously served as a senior opinion research and strategy advisor to Prime Minister Theresa May. In that capacity, he conducted opinion research and private polling and presented recommendations to the Prime Minister and the Cabinet, as well as to the rest of Whitehall and the Conservative Party. James has also played an active role in a number of strategic communications and policy campaigns. Uh, he is a founding partner of JL Partners and provides media commentary uh, on the latest political and electoral developments. So that's good. Uh, then who's the other partner? Well, it's this person, Tom Lubbock. Dr. Tom Lubbock is a public opinion specialist, having previously worked as an academic behavioral scientist at the University of Oxford specializing in research methods and referendum campaigns between 2017 and 2019. He ran analytics and polling at Conservative campaign headquarters, uh, working on tracking polling for the Prime Minister and end-to-end -end segmentations. Uh, this informed top-level strategy, as well as budgets uh, and health policy. Tom also worked closely on a number of contracts from private clients. So we should be absolutely assured that the Daily Mail's poll is valid, this poll of 1,007 people. It's totally, totally valid because it's totally independent and totally objective, and there was no political campaigning in this whatsoever. Yeah, and thank God there's no links to the to the Tory party, Mike. Thank God um, we're being absolutely facetious there in that comment, Mike. The, what I, There's a fatal flaw, Mike, in their methodology. I don't know if anybody else picked this up, but they had a little, uh, in that big Daily Mail graphic, they had a little thing about which incentives, you know, do you like pizza, cinema tickets, they had a car down there, I think that was at taxi rides. They're throwing everything at people to try to get them to take the jab. So they'll poll on what people want as an incentive, but there's nothing in that poll that the really important question, Mike, would be, what will be the effect of those incentives on people going to get the jab, that's the obvious question. How will the incentives affect that 75% number that they claim is out there in the public that, that want the kids jabbed and so forth? So that's the important question that I didn't see. That's a qualitative question. I know we're, we're going a bit highbrow here, Mike, on our polling methodology and maybe too high for the Daily Mail, but uh, it's kind of an important question because it really speaks to the credibility of that survey. 
Yes, but uh, don't worry, it gets better. Uh, we shouldn't miss out uh, on our COVID jabs times two. Uh, this is the uh, latest propaganda from the British government. Uh, they have managed to recruit the likes of the Ministry of Sound, uh, another nightclub called Heaven. Um, plus, uh, let's see who else is on this list, uh, Bodelia. Um, and a number of others to promote vaccines uh, on a massive social media campaign. Um, so the nightlife industry will be supporting the vaccine drive by sharing vaccine messaging online and at their venues. Share, uh, sharing needles at the venues? Uh, well, indeed. Or no, messaging? No, no, needles as well, because Heaven is hosting a vaccine event this Sunday. Ah. It's a pop-up vaccination centre. They're, they're going to run that without any problem. Um, also supporting the campaign are Industry Bodies Live, uh, the voice of the UK contemporary live music sector, and also Safer Sounds, a partnership promoting best practice across the uh, music industry. Um, and uh, from September, people will be required to have uh, had two doses of COVID vaccine to enter nightclubs uh, and other large-scale events. I'm not sure, did you notice that one being formally announced, that there'll be mandatory vaccines to go into uh, nightclubs and other uh, other large-scale events? I have not heard that formally announced. It's just been dropped into this little press release. So drifted go, out. Drifted out there. With over two-thirds of young adults aged 18 to 29 having received one dose of the vaccine, the new campaign will encourage club goers, university students, and all young adults, they say, to get both doses without delay so they can get back to enjoying the things they've missed while the country cautiously returns to normal. Um, so... Uh, that's uh, quite amazing. So who else is involved in this? Various DJs and uh, and other uh, nightlife performers. So we should all be uh, very happy about that. So, you know, we're, this is where we're at in 2021. You go to the nightclub and they have boxes of needles. Uh, so they're saying this is all great. Uh, get people vaxxed at the clubs. How long, Mike, till they're going to be offering free drugs? I mean, they've already done this with cannabis. You've seen those stories before. How long till you get your free disco biscuit uh, with your jab? I mean, is this where things are going? That is totally brave new world uh, to, to, to an absolute T, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of scary. But, you know, what's the bottom line on this to get back safely? Does the vaccine or the jab, does it prevent you from, according to the official bodies, from getting COVID or spreading COVID? No. Really? So what's the point? Especially if you're young and you're not even at risk of even getting a cough from COVID-19. I mean, is it, am I pointing out the obvious here? And am, am, I, am I overstepping my uh, scientific uh, bona fides, Mike? Well, uh, if you are, I'm sure full fact uh, will, will be straight on the case. Let's get to it. The fact checkers. Yes. Right. Uh, where does that take us, takes Patrick? Us to, to, Mike, it takes us to the psychological warfare uh, that is being waged. And uh, Brian Garish spoke about this uh, in the Doctors for COVID Ethics uh, seminar, uh, the panel discussion. I believe that was on the second day. Yes. Uh, you can watch those videos up at the ukcolumn.org if you haven't already. We uh, encourage you to do that. So there's a psychological warfare that involves... Uh, a heavy, heavy uh, load of applied behavioral psychology. And this brings us to a quote by uh, none other than, well, a famous psychologist, you could say, thanks to New Dawn Magazine, who tweeted this out uh, this morning here, the deliberately induced psychotic state, uh, which is certain unstable individuals might easily uh, lead to real psychosis, is a danger that needs to be taken very seriously. Indeed, these things are really... Uh, really are dangerous and ought not to be meddled with in our typical Western way. That's Carl Jung, okay, so he knew a thing about 
uh, psychology and mind manipulation here, which leads us very nicely to this story, which some people might have missed. Uh, this is from The Conversation, surprising article from this publication, who's been more or less on board with the pandemic narrative. Look at this headline, Why Freedom Day, there's Boris Johnson, Why Freedom Day is the latest example of COVID propaganda. This is a fairly mainstream uh, publication here, Mike. Let's take a look at what's actually uh, being said here. Here's the author, Colin Alexander. He is a lecturer uh, in political communications at Nottingham Trent University. He said the lifting of most COVID legal restrictions on July 19th has been dubbed Freedom Day by some politicians and journalists. But he goes on, though not an official designation, this popularization of this moment with such a saying closely follows two of my 10 golden rules of propaganda. First, appeal to the instincts rather than the reason of the audience. Very important. And second, uh, to build around a slogan. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, Mike? And then repeat, 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 and then keep repeating, okay? So that is uh, one of his guides. This is what he's teaching his students in political uh, science here. So back to Boris Johnson. So, you know, based on this, Mike, we're going to have to give him the Goebbels uh, rosette, and uh, notice the difference in hairstyles there. Uh, Boris will hopefully one day sort of go for that smart look. What do you think? Uh, don't know. Is it ever going to happen? So anyway, you get the Goebbels rosette for Freedom Day, and it's funny how Freedom Day is when they drifted out the vaccine passport, Mike. And speaking of propaganda, uh, this is something everybody needs to watch. This is an interview here with Dr. Piers Robinson, who's been on the UK Colin program many times. COVID-19 is a global propaganda operation. Look at these posters, Mike. They remind you of second First World War propaganda, doesn't yes. it? Those are real COVID-19 government-issued propaganda posters and stuff that's come out from the medical industrial complex uh, in different countries. Look at that. It's just unbelievable. And so this is a great interview. I think, Mike, this is about... Uh, 45 minutes long, goes really into depth. And of course, Piers Robinson is probably one of the best, most qualified people really to talk on this subject, maybe one of the best in the world. I would say he's a co-director of the Organization for Propaganda Studies, has a number of uh, uh, textbooks to his name on this subject that are widely read in academia and so forth. And so he really talks about uh, the, the Spy B documents here, goes into depth on the UK's government's advertising propaganda campaign that was used to sort of frighten and terrorize uh, the population. So that's uh, something I would encourage people to go watch. This is Asia Pacific Today, this independent uh, news outlet based in Australia that uh, did this interview. Uh, and they're doing really, really good work at uh, Asia Pacific Today. Okay, now sticking with 21st Century Wire for a second, uh, the headline here is uh, German pathologist, fatal consequences of vaccinations underestimated. And this is Dr. Peter uh, Schermacher and uh, Peter Schermacher, he's a chairman of the German Society of Pathology. He's director of the Institute of Pathology at Heidelberg University Hospital. He's president of the German Association for the Study of the Liver. Uh, his research interests include molecular and, morph and uh, morphological digestive system uh, carcinogenesis, uh, especially of the liver and the pancreas, uh, and uh, he's and so on. So he is a qualified uh, pathologist, uh, and uh, he's. Well, you describe it in your uh, piece here as sounding the alarm on fatal vaccine injuries after performing over 40 autopsies in people who had died within two weeks of receiving their COVID shot. 
uh, he now wants to get to the bottom of rare side effects. Now, if you want to get a little bit more uh, on it, it's also in German newspapers, uh, in German, of course, this is Die Welt. And so we'll just do a quick uh, translation of this. Heidelberg chief pathologist calls for more autopsies of uh, uh, vaccinated people. Um, what uh, the, uh, One of the German newspapers said that Schumacher uh, assumes that 30 to, well, I think assumes isn't quite right. I think probably estimates is a better translation of that, that 30 to 40% of people died from the vaccination. In his opinion, uh, this is the people that he autopsied. Uh, the, in his opinion, the frequency of fatal consequences of vaccinations is underestimated. Uh, a politically explosive statement in times when vaccination campaign is losing momentum. The Delta variant is spreading rapidly and restrictions on non-vaccinated people are being discussed. Um, but uh, Naturally, he got attacked for this. Yeah, he did. So a anybody that uh, puts their head above the parapet on this issue is is going to be targeted by the establishment. But look, look at that number. Let's say 30 to 40% of people who die after receiving their COVID-19 unlicensed experimental uh, injections or vaccines, as they're called by the, uh, by the officials, 30 to 40%. So if that's a sample, and if that's accurate, Mike, if we extrapolated that, to uh, you know, the total number of people who received the vaccination. And then we take that data and we compare it to what we're seeing on the VAERS website in terms of adverse reactions and deaths, the yellow card website in the UK, and UDRA vigilance uh, in the EU. And looking at those numbers, I would say, Mike, if this is, a, if, if this is a even, let's say, more conservative, let's say 15 or 20%, I'll even half the doctor's findings here from Germany, we extrapolate that and compare that to the, all the VAERS data from the different countries. It's massively underreported for, for deaths, for post-vaccine deaths. I mean, we're, we're talking about an epidemic of injuries and deaths following the experimental pharmaceutical injections, uh, these COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, this is horrific. If these findings are even partially uh, accurate in terms of the numbers he's talking about, so you know, where are the regulators on this? Where are the sort of ethical boards, the medical boards? Uh, we know where the politicians are, of course. They're completely uh, ignoring all of this. Where's the mainstream media? I mean, where are the medical journalists? Why aren't they diving into this and drawing the same conclusions that we are, which aren't really radical conclusions based on the scientific findings of the top pathologist in Germany, EU's leading, <coughs> EU's leading country? Well, uh, we will keep an eye on it. And of course, uh, the MHRA has just, uh, the, their new chief safety officer is just in post. So no doubt we'll be hearing from her in the not too distant future. Maybe. Maybe. Now, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. That would be very much appreciated uh, and it is very much needed. Also do share the material uh, while we're still on the uh, on Twitter and Facebook, but also do share material that's on uh, brand YouTube, Rumble, uh, BitChute, and Odyssey. Uh, and Patrick, still a couple left. There's still a couple left, a couple of t-shirts left. This is, a, I think this is the last round we're doing. I mean, we could do another uh, round of stock on these, but they are going like crazy, Mike. Loving the old normal. This is the hot protest t-shirt this summer. Um, this absolutely triggers people. Uh, certain people don't like this shirt, obviously, out, in, but some people love it. I got a thumbs up from two police officers uh, when I was coming through Hyde Park last time in London. They loved 
the shirt, and on the back it says we're all essential. Go to the UK Columns Community Shop. There's still a few left. Not many, Mike. Mm. There's a few. If we if we don't have your size, you can email us and ask. You know, if if we've run out, we might. You know, if we get enough emails, we might get some more. One last round, maybe. Well, let's just but say let's just they wait. can email you, Patrick. How do they, they do can, that? They can just email. Well, they can they can email. Well, well, they can email info at ukcom.org. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Or something. Or editor. Well, anyway, we'll we'll find out. We'll 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 do a straw poll. Okay, that's so, fine. Anyway, there's only a few left, so get them while they're still there. Okay, let's uh, move on then to uh, Dr. Sam White. Now, Sam White was uh, taking part in the COVIDs for doctors, the doctors' ethics. Sorry, doctors for COVID ethics. I do apologize. Uh, symposium last week. Um, well, his uh, uh, hearing in front of the General Medical Council is taking place uh, in on the seventeenth of August. Uh, so not too long to go. He does need support for that. Uh, but also, uh, um, we hopefully will be uh, doing a lot more uh, on this on Monday because I, I want to, to put a little bit of time into uh, uh, discussing his case uh, on Monday's program. Uh, but I also just want to remind everybody, that, of course, he is running a crowdfunder at the moment uh, to bring a legal case. Um, and uh, well, they're doing very well on that, but they've only got five more days to go and uh, need some more support. So if anybody would like to help with that, uh, I think it's very worthwhile. Um, so they're bringing a case. He is bringing a case about informed consent. He's making the point that vaccine passports breach domestic law and international law in their view. Uh, people are having uh, a vaccine. Isn't this a very important point? People are having a vaccine to obtain a vaccine passport, not out of clinical need. And his point is that that is absolutely wrong. So they've got four main objectives in taking this legal action. Uh, to have the vaccine passport declared unlawful, uh, to halt the vaccine rollout to allow a thorough review of all potential serious adverse effects, uh, to lift his own suspension, uh, and uh, and also if the uh, police don't take any action to start private criminal proceedings, uh, well, that's Matt Hancock's not in the frame anymore. Of course, it's Sajid Javid now, but nonetheless, uh, the effort is still on. So five days to go on that, and if anybody can help, I'm sure that would be massively appreciated. Isn't that a great point he's made, Mike? Is that a lot of people are going to get the jab, not because they're afraid of COVID or because they're at any risk. Remember when Matt Hancock said last November that only older people, this is only a vaccine for adults, it's an emergency vaccine, not for children. Do you remember when he said that? I do remember when he said that. That was on the floor of uh, the Commons, wasn't it? Yes, and I also know people personally who chose to take the vaccine on the basis that uh, it would uh, allow them to travel. So, you know, this is not an uncommon thing. I'm hearing this uh, on a regular basis from many, many people. So this is totally preposterous uh, from a, a medical uh, point of view. Sam White's made a, a great point there, and we wish him uh, all, all the best and all the support we can throw his way for his challenge. Uh, absolutely. Now, uh, uh, great timing, but Grant Shapps was speaking to Sky News this morning. This is what he had to say. I do see vaccine passports becoming a permanent for the foreseeable future. Uh, fixture of international travel. So is it permanent or is it temporary for the foreseeable future? Well, this is typical politicians' language here. Do you trust uh, them? No, of course not. Uh, so uh, it's pretty clear it's permanent. Uh, and he went on to say, I've chaired meetings with my transport equivalents in other countries. Uh, when I speak to them, it's quite clear that double vaccination will be a requirement. Uh, we're already seeing it virtually in every virtually sorry in virtually every country in the world. So this is what uh, we warned about months ago, isn't it? It is indeed that it would be done by bureaucratic fiat. In other words, that uh, each country can say, "Well, we don't want to make it uh, mandatory uh, within the country," because of course that would be uh, 
uh, unconstitutional, but uh, you're going to need it to travel because, hey, everybody seems to be doing it. So, you know, there's no possible way to opt out. No one's, again, asking the question of, do people actually need it? Where is the pandemic? What is the actual threat? All of these basic questions have been completely thrown aside uh, for the sort of, hey, let's all get on board and comply with this new global tracking system uh, and exclusionary application that will uh, keep you from doing things and accessing areas. And they're going to market it as inclusive, but it's actually exclusive. Yeah. This is a total bait and switch. This is, the fraud doesn't even cover it. This is just absolutely insidious what an agenda this is. And these politicians are basically, what's the old saying when a, you'll know a politician's lying? When they open their mouth or something, it must they, be along something. When their lips, lips are moving. moving. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. It's so true. So true. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's all safe and effective. Well, we just wanted to remind people of how much the industry loves you, okay, and how much they care about you. Uh, go watch this. This is by Dr. Sam Bailey. We've got this up at uh, 21stCenturyWide.com right now in our feature section. You can also see her work on YouTube uh, as well as on Odyssey uh, and brand new tube here. Pharma's deception, safe and effective then and now. What is she talking about here, uh, Dr. Sam Bailey? Well, she's talking about that, that great drug uh, called thalidomide uh, that was uh, deemed to be safe and effective, Mike, at the time for uh, pregnant mothers. And uh, it was one of the worst, most horrific scandals in the history of the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, many of the people involved in that still continued to rise uh, within the industry, became very wealthy and powerful, despite the fact of all of the devastation that was left in their wake on this. So, I mean, that's just one extreme example, but there's many other examples, Mike. I mean, if you want to bring the list out in terms of drug recalls, in terms of uh, settlements against all of these pharmaceutical companies, the bribery, the extortion, the blackmailing by firms like Pfizer and many others. This is all well chronicled. These are not saint-like corporations. They never were, but all of a sudden, Mike, in the last 12 months, they've been given this amazing, uh, they've been canonized uh, by the government uh, that they could do no wrong and they're omnipotent, these wonderful, companies and the scientists at these companies. What they do at pharmaceutical companies, Mike, is most of it is not science. It is not science. It's totally opaque. Uh, it's not transparent at all. And they cook the books on how they design their trials. A lot of people have blown the whistle on this. And the government regulators have completely brushed that aside because the lobby is so powerful. They pump so much money into government into the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation pay, paying the regulators directly, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and the EU is the same. In the United States, the corruption's off the charts uh, with regards to the FDA, okay? That's the pharmaceutical industry. These are the people providing these products that are unlicensed and have not been given any medium or long-term safety protocols on them. They've just rushed it through because they said there's a pandemic. Okay, that is the bottom line. And the media doesn't want to hear about this. Government officials don't want to hear about this. They're just saying, oh, we don't have time for that. There's a pandemic. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Hence the Goebbels rosette. 
uh, we showed you just a few minutes ago, Mike. It's amazing. It is amazing. But look, you don't need to worry, Patrick, because lockdown has been so good for so many parts of society. Education has done so well under lockdown. It's fantastic. More people are getting A's in A-level than have we've ever seen before. Uh, how could we go wrong? Lockdown has been fantastic. It's got so good that uh, the universities have now decided that they can't rely on A-level results anymore because the A-level results are effectively skewed in such a such the wrong direction um, because there were no proper exams done. So they just gave away good grades, they right? They gave away good grades. And so now the universities are setting entrance exams to try to cope with the situation because basically they've made all these offers to people on the basis of their results. Mm. And the results are so inflated uh, that they now have to put set entrance exams in order to try to get the numbers down uh, So because otherwise they're, they're going to be so massively oversubscribed. Uh, so we've got uh, universities, the Daily Telegraph here, universities setting entrance exams amid A-level chaos, and The Guardian there saying extra cash for medical schools as grades surge. Now, interestingly enough, the UK government's press release on this didn't say anything about so-called grade inflation. Uh, they didn't mention that at all. They just said that medical and dentistry schools across England will get additional funding to expand courses for the coming academic year to fulfill more offers for UK students who achieve the required grades. Uh, the response to this year's unprecedented situation, uh, the government has adjusted the cap on medical and dentistry places so that more students than ever will have the opportunity to study on these courses in 2021 and in the long term help boost our future NHS workforce. So this is all about boosting the NHS workforce, Patrick. It's got nothing to do with the fact that these courses are now massively oversubscribed. And one of the reasons that they're massively oversubscribed is because of the uh, exam chaos uh, that resulted from lockdown. Uh, how could we really object to lockdown? But hold on, Mike. I thought that if you lower the standards for entrance, uh, that you're going to end up with more unqualified people and people who really can't hack the standard required to meet the professional qualifications, the study uh, bars and so forth. I mean, isn't that That's common it. sense? If uh, you just open up entrance to anybody, you can't create a demand that's not there. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it, of higher education that you need to uh, achieve a certain standard, right? I think that's just highly cynical, Patrick. I don't, I don't get it. That's your, not how they do it anymore, not right? Anymore, no. Now it's just let them all in and give them all A's, right? That's so that's it. That that that's probably going to. What could possibly go wrong uh, in, in terms of the final product? I mean, me, you, you're going to have more overqualified nurses and dentists now, or you're going to have less qualified, less talented nurses and dentists by lowering all the standards. What do you think? What's the answer to that question? I don't know. Uh, I know I what know. the answer was for the last. 40 years, we've seen <laughs> last 100 years, yes, but that's all changed in 2020 because COVID changed all that. COVID's changed so much, it's, it's been fantastic. It's normal. Uh, right, now let's uh, have a look at this. This is the uh, uh, NARU, that's the National Ambulance uh, Resilience Unit. And of course they do, they prepare for, for terrorist events and other things, other mass casualty events and this kind of thing. Uh, so the, yesterday they published uh, a tender for specialist casualty actors. Um, and uh, so this is an open opportunity. Uh, it means that uh, the contract is currently active. Uh, the buying department is looking for potential suppliers to fulfill the contract and, they, and to ensure realism in the training of hazardous area response team staff. Uh, they require specialist actors with the ability to simulate realistic and severe trauma, including amputations. 
Uh, in addition to the specialist actors, Nari requires makeup artists capable of replicating realistic wounds. Uh, it's the responsibility of the makeup artists to supply makeup and other ancillary equipment. Uh, and the makeup artists will support the work uh, with Nairu staff uh, to provide realistic casualty moulage. Uh, so that's good stuff. Uh, they, the actors must be capable of replicating a range of injuries from minor cuts to leg and arm amputations. Uh, and the actors must be capable of aiding the realism uh, of differing training scenarios to enhance the shock factor of training exercises. Um, so I just... I, I, wait, I, I can, we can save them a lot of money, Mike, straight off the bat. I mean, you know what the solution is, don't you? Tell me. Call the White Helmets. Oh, well, the, just well, bring in the white helmets. They've got the whole team. They've got the whole team there. They've yes, got the whole operation ready to go. Well, this is a good thing. So, so the question is, who who might apply for this uh, for this type of crisis, contract? Crisis actors. That who might apply for it? Well, if you want to find out, have a look at uh, uh, fabricating panoramas, saving Syriach children. Sorry, uh, the blog uh, run by Robert Stewart, um, and uh, have a look for uh, uh, an article on there called Hospex. Uh, macro simulation techniques. Um, I'll just show you one example of the type of thing that the British Army was doing. This was uh, Robert was pointing out a, a, a panorama short segment on this. Um, and uh, well, this is a simulated Burns casualty played by a professional actor. So there's nothing new here. I mean, this is going on already. And this is an image from the uh, panorama documentary. Mm. And his point was, well, uh, this demonstrates, uh, you know, those are either identical because they're makeup, or if the person on the right is genuinely burned, then it demonstrates uh, to the degree of that they're actually making these things look real. And so, how do you tell whether it's real or not? That, that's the question. But here, are the company, the types of companies that uh, are doing this kind of work, this is one called Sim Bodies. Um, they are pioneers in patient simulation, and they include things like uh, like crisis actors as well as uh, uh, artificial you know, uh, bodies to train on. Uh, and also uh, Trauma FX, uh, they've been taken over since uh, the Saving Serious Children documentary by a company called TACMED Solutions. Uh, and they don't seem to be providing uh, actual crisis actors anymore, but nonetheless, they have done it in the past. So uh, interesting little contract. I wonder what they feel they're preparing for at this point. This is uh, always something that worries me whenever I see these sort of things, Mike, because I'm just like wondering, you know, is it what's coming around the corner? I mean, what was interesting was, remember the Manchester uh, bombing uh, a couple of years ago? They did an, a, a walkthrough of an identical terrorist attack at the same venue mm. a year before. Uh, a simulation of a terrorist attack, complete with bombs, shooters, and had employed a bunch of crisis actors. Uh, and volunteers to do that, and professionals and uh, e EMS uh, staff and all that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So it, it was kind of harrowing, and you know, as if by coincidence, uh, the actual event materializes just a, a year later. So you know, who knew, right? I guess the same thing with Seven Seven. You remember the? You could say the same thing with uh, COVID. In fact, with Event Two Hundred One and Event Two Hundred One. So yeah. Lots of simulations tend to happen before. Yeah, before events happen, that's or? just a natural phenomenon of coincidences. And as coincidence theorists, you know, we we subscribe to that theory, which is the the, the coincidence theory. The coincidence. We theory. absolutely believe that all of these are coincidences, and we are unashamed coincidence theorists. Right.
Okay, thank you for that. And just yeah. uh, hope nobody's terribly confused about what you're saying there. But anyway, let's uh, quickly move on to economic affairs and uh, the Bank of England. Well, they're very excited uh, because yesterday they decided to keep interest rates at 0.1%. And they're maintaining the amount of quantitative easing for the UK at £895 billion. Now, some people not so happy about that. Some people wanted that number reduced to, I think, £830 billion, as if that was going to make a lot of difference. Um, they are very concerned that inflation is going up, but don't worry because it's going to come straight back down again. We don't have to worry about How that. How are they going to do that? Uh, it's, it's, it's magic. It's magic. Uh, it is absolutely magic. Um, and they're, they're going to keep interest rates low, so we don't have to worry about it. So this is, this is the kind of uh, graphics that they're pushing out at the moment. So let's have a look at the report itself. Uh, Monetary Policy Report, August 2021. And they've got a section there in a nutshell. So let's have a look and see what they're saying. So they're repeating themselves here. We're going to continue to set interest rates to support households and businesses and ensure inflation returns to target. Uh, so it's above target. It's going to go even more above target this year, but they're going to return it to target by using interest rates or not. Uh, then what are they saying? Inflation is above our 2% target. We expect it to rise further in the coming months, but then fall back to our target. But I hope you're ready for this, Patrick, because this is, this is the best bit. Are you ready? Vaccines are helping uh, spending jobs and incomes recover. Oh, really? Vaccines are yes. helping yes. spending and jobs. And so, yes. So to save the economy, we need to get more vaccines That's out, right. right? So Andrew Billy said, uh, these, this points to the success of economic policy measures in avoiding a marked rise in unemployment uh, in the face of such large downturn in uh, activity. So what are they claiming? They're claiming that the economy is going to grow by 7.25% this year. And that sounds like a really amazing figure. The UK economy Record-breaking. Record-breaking. But of course, when you decimate, the, or in fact, they did more than decimate, <laughs> they destroyed it completely. When you, just, when you basically stop all economic activity... When you're at minus lockdown, 30%, right? and you do a 7%, what do they say, 7%? 7.25. So now we're just down to sort of minus 23%, right? right don't worry. Fantastic job, guys. It's, it's really, coming back. You're really killing it there on the economy. Yes. Now let's uh, move on to uh, Green New Deal and, uh, and climate change and so on. Of course, we know that COP26 uh, is happening in the not-too-distant future uh, in Glasgow, and everybody's getting very excited about it. But the Alex Sharma, of course, is in charge of that uh, whole event. Uh, and the question is, what has he been doing? Well, he's been doing this. Uh, he was in Brazil uh, yesterday. He was very excited about that. So he's traveling to Brazil yesterday. He's the climate czar, right? He is indeed. Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no, he's no, no. He's in charge of COP26. Oh. No, Mark Carney is the climate czar. Okay. But anyway, uh, anyway, he was in Brazil uh, on August the 5th. Uh, a few days ago, he was, where is, was he? He was in Bolivia. And then before that, he was in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And before that, where was he? Uh, Slovenia. Ah, he gets uh, around. And uh, before that, he was in Barbados. Elbow bumping. Yes. Look and, at that. Uh, well, before that, he was in Austria. Ah. Uh, so we're only back to the beginning of July. Uh, and, uh, well, look who he met while he was there. Arnold. Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sure that was exciting for them both. Uh, and, uh, well, then... He was in Moscow as well. So uh, he has, in fact, been to 30 different countries in the last month or so, uh, including seven that are considered to be red list countries. Uh, so how much quarantine, quarantine time do you think he has spent, Patrick? I don't know. What, besides... Well, it's a nice round number. Does that give you a clue? It could be. I'm thinking it's 
zero. Yes, like that's a donut correct. Hole. Yes, like a donut hole, yes. And how because, much carbon has he emitted with his private jet? Well, there is that as well. Uh, but anyway, quarantine time, uh, he has a ministerial exemption, you see. Oh, uh, for, so, so, for what? So global, the law, global warming? For everything, for everything. The law does not apply to government ministers. Uh, so even So he can eat burritos three days a week or three, three meals a day or whatever. And he can. he's exempt from his carbon footprint there. Vindaloo exemption, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, on Wednesday, Brian was uh, mentioned that uh, a, a friend of the UK column, uh, an elderly lady had in a care home, had uh, fallen um, and uh, that it had been 12 hours before the ambulance service uh, um, decided to turn up to collect her. And because the home's policy was that they don't lift people, elderly people that have fallen in the home uh, because they aren't medically qualified necessarily, uh, then they... Uh, that lady lay on the floor for 12 hours waiting for an ambulance. So I thought I would have a look at uh, Southwestern Ambulance Service this morning and have a look to see what's on their Twitter feed. Are they giving any indication that they're under pressure or anything like that? So let's just have a quick look at this. Um, so they're saying that they are experiencing uh, extremely high demand for their service. 999 is for life-threatening emergencies only. If you have a non-life-threatening but urgent medical problem, such as broken or fractured bones, sprains, or burns, contact NHS 111. So, um, but the question is, uh, is the average member of the public qualified to know whether what they're experiencing is life-threatening or not? I'm not certain that they are, but anyway, please think before calling 999, is it a life-threatening emergency? And this is absolutely the theme of their Twitter feed. Um, so do you need urgent medical help? Think 111 before calling 999 for, to the emergency and going to the emergency department. Uh, let's have a look at this one. Uh, please help us help you by only calling 999 in a genuine life-threatening emergency. Use the right service. And they've got a nice graphic here. Uh, they say that uh, for grazed knees, sore throats and coughs and colds, you should only use self-care. Um, that pharmacies should be for headaches, upset stomachs, uh, aches and pains, sorry, and bites and stings. Well, of course, headaches could be related to a vaccine adverse reaction. Uh, and uh, But anyway, don't just go to the pharmacy for that. Uh, NHS 111 is there. Call your GP. Uh, is that likely? Do you get a response from a GP, Patrick, these days? Is that a is that a practical suggestion? You can book a telephone appointment with a care assistant. Normally, this is the new the new protocol. The new you, normal, yes. You can't. It's very difficult to actually get a face to face appointment with an actual doctor, uh, or even to speak to one on the phone. Right. Uh, then, of course, you could go to the minor injury unit if you've got a sprain or a fracture or a burn. Sure. Uh, sure and then yeah. you should need to call in. But the problem with that one is uh, that actually they're also under significant pressure, and so our local minor injury unit at Cumberland Centre in Plymouth was forced to close a few days ago for not for very long, but it doesn't matter. They had such pressure on their, the, the staff weren't there or for whatever reason and the ping, on top the, of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So so the question then is, um, uh, is it acceptable for uh, ambulance services to not be able to provide a service that an elderly person is waiting for 12 hours on the floor? 90, it, a 90 plus year old. That's right. right. Is it acceptable that people can't get access to their GPs? Is it acceptable that people phone 111 get bad advice? Uh, because most of the people on the call center aren't, well, they're not very medically uh, trained. Uh, but is it acceptable that people are having to self-diagnose to decide which service it is that they require? Um, this is the state of the NHS in uh, 2021 as a result of 15 months of lockdown, reorientation of NHS services, 
uh, and the focus on COVID, which we have demonstrated over the last 15 months, uh, it behaves no differently to any other relatively minor uh, respiratory illness. Um, and so really, when, when I see people on social media uh, talking about the NHS and criticizing anybody that criticize the, criticizes the NHS, um, you've got to start asking some serious questions about what it is that you're supporting. We've got to, we've got to ask the government why they are pushing this policy, which is resulting in people dying uh, in bigger numbers than COVID is killing them. Yeah, I'm just a little bit confused, Mike. So they, they, they destroyed the economy, put millions of people out of work. They crushed what now by this point, what tens of thousands of businesses, main, mainly small to medium sized businesses, shut schools, destroyed the education system, which we just showed you the, the after effects of that, which will reverberate for a generation. Uh, all of that was done to to save the NHS, right? Yes. And so the state of the NHS right now, Mike, it doesn't look very good. And it's not because of a lack of funding, right? Or is the money going into boondoggle projects like track and trace and things like this and, and mass testing, buying tests from China by the thousands pallets of, of lateral flow tests and PCR tests that aren't actual diagnostic tests. Is this where all the money's going? Have they not increased uh, bed capacity in, in the last 18 months? I mean, is it from a lack of funding? Patrick, 30 billion pounds on test and trace. If that had been put into the NHS, maybe we would have had a slightly different situation here, but um, 30 billion pounds on test and trace. I mean, and we're not talking about just a cock up here. Um, no. We're talking about- Policy. Act. We're, we're talking about the planned controlled demolition of the nat National Health Services. Is this being done intentionally to what? I don't know, Mike. It's almost like they're preparing to privatize it. Like they're just trying to basically clean out the balance sheet and uh, trim the fat and then basically carve it up and sell it off to some American uh, insurance, company. insurance companies and healthcare providers. I don't know. It certainly seems like that. I mean, if you wanted to do that, this is exactly how you would go about doing it. We're not saying that they're doing that. Of course, they would never do that, would they, Mike? No, they'd never do that. It's certainly not admitting to it anyway. Of course not. Well, okay, we're going to have to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Patrick, as usual, thank you for joining us. We'll be back at 1 p.m. as usual on Monday uh, and hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.